Hey everyone! Before we get started, I want to put a disclaimer up front. These next five episodes were recorded over the last few months and out of order, so we reference things that are old news at this point. But hopefully they'll all flow together and work as the miniseries it was intended. Although I am extending an open invitation if any Burden of Truth cast and crew should hear these episodes and want to come on to the podcast. If you're up for it, let me know. And now, on with the show. Rabblings of a Guy from Regina. I am your host, Luke Cannon, and this is the first of a mini-series of episodes within the podcast. As you may or may not know, for the last year and a half, I am a locations PA on the hit CBC series, Burden of Truth, and in the previous episode, I said that I could talk about the show for hours. So I'm going to do just that. And of course, I can't do this alone. Given how busy we are throughout the year on different shows and that January through March is a rare downtime, I thought I'd take this opportunity to give you listeners some insight onto the show. Not from a fan perspective, although I'll at least be doing some gushing from time to time, and not from the top down, but from the bottom up. From the perspective of the people who have their boots on the ground and are doing the modern day equivalent of running away and joining the circus and the high wire act that encompasses it across various departments. And to start us off, my guests are two men that I work with in the locations department. They are some of the few, the happy few, the band of brothers and sisters I've worked with across two seasons of television and one movie coming out in April. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Mr. Neil Bach and Mr. Damien Frazzi. Hello. Hello, world. <laughs> How's it going? Great. So to start us off, why don't you gentlemen introduce yourselves? Tell us what made you want to be in the film industry and how you ended up working in the locations department. I'm Neil Bach, and I took a art of film course in university a long time ago, and the instructor showed us an episode of The Simpsons. I was a huge fan of The Simpsons. He sort of broke it down in a more filmic kind of way, as the show itself is drawn and directed and produced like a movie more so than like television, and I was already a big fan of movies. And so that sort of inspired me to want to look into how movies are made and maybe get involved with that. So then after that, I went to Vancouver Film School and took some part-time courses in screenwriting, directing, cinematography, editing, so I could get a bit of a background. Then I came back to Winnipeg and worked at Blockbuster Video and watched a whole bunch of movies. And then eventually got roped into being a PA on a TV movie in an office. And then from there, made my way into different departments, landing up eventually as assistant location manager on a disaster TV series. And I sort of stuck with that department as it seemed that I was best suited for it. And it offered me the opportunity to work closely with every single other department and then work my way up to being now a location manager. My name is Damien Frizee by trade. My hobbies are I'm a videographer and a photographer. And I like to do a lot of outdoor stuff and exploring. So when I got my chance to get into the movie industry here in Winnipeg, I went through National Screen Institute, which is funded by CBC also. It's called the Indigenous New Voices Program. So they train you, they run you through 14 weeks of intensive film school, basically. So they teach you how to write scripts, pitch ideas, 
budgeting, lighting to sound to camera, basically how to make your own film. So I went through that program and then through there, Lisa Miches gave me an opportunity to work on Burden of Truth as a hands-on training. And I was given three choices so I could pick camera, but found out that camera was really super hard to get into. So I picked locations as a second department and then I picked editing for my third choice. But I didn't know editing was a whole other thing in the movie industry too. So I got thrown into the locations department because I thought locations was like scouting and exploring and finding cool locations to film and shoot. And I thought it was like reading scripts and didn't know what it was until I got into it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the life of uh, locations PA has became my 2018 career endeavor and I gave my foot in the door and Burning the Truth season two was just after working season two, it set the bar way too high <laughs> for a well niche production crew to run smooth that was a wicked awesome crew to start with to jump into for the first mm -hmm. time and it's like I don't know, it was unbelievable the crew was amazing everything was just all around crazy but yeah I'm in locations and I like locations but I'm also trying to get into the camera department and then maybe down the road right and then direct. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same thing with you as well. For me, I got a degree in film and video production at the University of Regina back in 2008, but then the recession hit, and then my folks were like, you can still pursue the film career, but you should go back to school to get a degree in something else just so that you're not working warehouse jobs. And I went to Toronto for two years to get a diploma in library information technician, which on the one hand, I wish I had still stayed in Regina considering what was going to happen there in 2012. And I barely passed and I tried for like a year to get a library job, but it was catch 22 thing where it's like, it can't get hired unless you have experience and unless you have experience, no one will hire you. So ultimately that went nowhere, but I'm still glad that I went to Toronto because I went to TIFF two years in a row. It led me to actually creating this podcast. I started writing for a website that was based out of Toronto where I met so many different people and one of my most frequent guests. And it was the kick in the ass that I needed to actually get my film career growing. So that's where I wrote the outline and then the script for rough sketches so that when I was back in Regina in 2012, before I left to come to Winnipeg, I made rough sketches, financed it out of my own pocket of $8,000 short and... I haven't seen it in a few years, and I imagine if I were to watch it right now, I'd be like, oh god, this sucks. It's so it's awful. But I'm glad that I did it. I, yeah, I did it. I can legitimately say that I am a filmmaker because I actually made a film. Yeah. And I know it works because when I screened it, it was end-of-the-year screenings at the film pool in Regina, and I was the middle show of five short films, and mine was the only one that got any actual applause. Nice. Awesome. I mean, it's just that the other shorts were very experimental, and they were experiments that didn't really work and so the fact that my short was a narrative short film that has an actual beginning middle and end character arc and a theme that it was exploring I think that just really connected with a lot of people so, yeah, let's get down to business. And what I want to hear from each of you is what exactly your job entails. Tell us what a typical day is for you on or off set. And what perspective does it give you on the production? Well, there's no typical day, <laughs> that's for sure. And my job entails different things depending on what stage of production we're at. So as location manager, we read the script and break down the script and determine what the specific locations are whether it's interior apartment or interior doctor's office or exterior mall parking lot or any number of things that would appear in a movie that's not built in a studio. And then we'd start to come up with options for each one of those things. 
to present to the director and or producers. And sometimes we have discussions with production designers, producers, directors, showrunners, to try and get a sense of what those locations are in their mind or what sort of design elements or architecture or things like that. And then we go out and either send scouts or ourselves go out and look for options for those things to present to the director and producer and designers. And then take the ones that they like the best and bring them to those places so they can see them in person, at which point they make their decision on which locations they wish to use in the project. And then we plan all the logistics, do the contract for filming at those particular locations, deal with business owners, homeowners, city offices, rural municipalities, things like that and then plan access for the art department and for technicians to do their rigging in any particular location. And then prior to the filming day, we plan all the parking and control of sound and what we see. Anything that's not supposed to be in the frame of the camera is kind of what our responsibility is. Lunchrooms, extras holdings, all those types of things. And then managing things on the day-to-day with our on-set crew, which Damien can speak more to because he was there on the day every day. And then problem-solving, troubleshooting as the days go on and reacting to changes and new needs, working closely with all the departments. And then once we finish at a location, doing the wrap-up and planning releases, making sure that we rectify any damages and replace things that are missing, etc. And then working closely with the production to manage our budget so that all the spending for each individual location and overall for our department is managed. That's kind of it in general. There's obviously more specifics that we can go into, but not here today. That's okay. a lot of responsibilities. <laughs> right. So again, with the locations, again, like I got into locations because it's a major important department in the industry and not to sort of step over your description of it but i kind of want to paint a picture and what that picture is is that you're up two hours before call time especially with season one and a little bit with season two we spent the majority of the time in selkirk which it's a 40 minute drive but i always give my yeah uh, yeah i was before everybody else yeah and on that first season i was picking up noah so he basically added an extra hour of drive time total because i had to drive all the way to the south end to pick him up then drive all the way to selkirk and then at the end of the drive him all the way back to his place and like drop him off at a 7-Eleven where he lives and then drive back to my place. So even without that, you're still driving 40 minutes to an hour up to Selkirk every day and your call time is an hour before everyone else's because you're grabbing the tents. Actually two hours on top of your shifts just because travel time. It's that 44 kilometer radius. Oh yeah, no, the the zone. Yeah, so like Selkirk. Yeah, Selkirk is in that zone. And it always makes me laugh whenever they describe Millwood as this small town. And I'm like, I'm from Moss Bank, Saskatchewan. It's not a small town until you can literally stand in the middle of the road of Main Street, look to your left, look to your right, and see the entire town. Yeah. Yeah. And the barricades that we have to set up, which was like these little wooden things, on the side it says City of Selkirk. So when you have two hospitals and a Walmart there, you kind of lose your right to refer to yourself as rural. Yeah, as soon as you have a Walmart, you made it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And you get there, and first off, you do get breakfast, but it's always out of takeout containers. 
We are the only department that when breakfast or lunch happens, we don't sit down because we're setting up tents and tables and chairs and rolling mats and setting up wasp traps. You're a security slash ambassador. We're the face <laughs> of the production yes. for the people there. And I noticed that for the most part, people, they see what you're doing and then go on. But then you get people who stop and they always ask the same three questions. It's what's going on? What's the movie? It's always a movie. It's never a TV show. Yeah. And three, who's in it? They need to send PAs to like a face recognition course so we can recognize all 80 crew members plus like outsiders plus extras yeah. plus BG. So you know, right. yeah, so we know who's there. not supposed to be there. Yeah, and then Mike always sticks me doing parking whenever we're at the new place and it's the crew parking lot. And I have to hand out the little placard things that you put on your dash so that you don't get a ticket or towed. And when we were in Sanford, for example, the grades are good. Not only did I learn whose vehicle belongs to who, but who shows up at one time. I mean, we all have different stories that we tell, so yeah, let's just get into it. We were shooting at the architect building there. Republic. Yeah. I'm still, like, I was like a newbie guy. Like, I was still fresh in the industry, doing work experience days. And I'm only there for eight hour days. Everybody's there for like 14 plus. I'm still new. I don't really know everybody. And then there's this one random guy came off the street and like started walking around the set. And he's like talking to me. He's like, oh, I don't know what he was saying, but he's like, uh, talking about the cars. Remember the cars on the St. Mary's? Picture vehicle. And he's trying to write down license plates or something. He's trying to act like he's like working for the city or something. And then we're like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you doing here? And then he's trying to like bodyguard, like, you know, protect the camera gear. Like, Get away from the side of the, the set. <laughs> and then Mike, it's like, who is that guy? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, get him out of here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some just, stranger. Just so random. And yeah, it's like, I was new. It's like, because when you have a production, you have like your four solid PAs, right? That are like mm -hmm. always around on set. And then you get your dailies or you get like eight hour guys all the time. So it's like, wow. You need that face recognition. Like, who's who? And like, you need to know a lot of stuff. They need to be aware. Well, I know oh, yeah, some well, bigger productions, you have to have some sort of a crew identification. Yeah. Right. Like, we do it when we're in the law courts or things like oh, that. Oh, yeah, the law movies, courts. Some movies, they do it all the time. Because there's a producer that was telling me how Vancouver, Toronto, crews are so huge. A lot of times, what people will do is just get a walkie and bring it to a movie set and just walk into a house and steal stuff. Because well, nobody realizes... I've heard of people doing that to get lunch, like go to the lunch line, but when he was telling me that people do it to steal from a house, it was like, wow, that's, that's insane. Well, not burden of truth, but this other show that we were on, Breakthrough, when we were filming at the high school there in Selkirk, mm -hmm. it was a day that had a bunch of extras, and they were all in the auditorium there, and I remember one of the set PAs or ADs, I forget who, but he was like, uh, yeah, there's these two kids are here that are not supposed to be there. Why did you let these guys through? And I was like, I didn't. When you're dealing with a hundred extras, you don't know them all off the top of your head that you can point out. It's like, oh, who doesn't belong and here? And they all look like high school kids in a high yeah, school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I was tasked to get them to leave. And so when I approached them, I was very diplomatic because as locations, you're kind of the ambassadors of the film productions. Slash bouncer. Yeah. You can't get angry. I framed it as, well, if you're trying to be an extra, you'd be cutting yourself out of a payday. Or I tried to be diplomatic with them, and then when they were still dragging their feet, I got to the more, please leave the premises, still keeping it cool. And the kids were like, fuck you, dude, don't be so aggressive with us. And I was like, oh, I am not aggressive. You will know if I am being aggressive to you, and don't want to see that. Just to reiterate, this is a great job, and I am dedicating myself to this profession, 
but it is a very stressful job. Even under the best of circumstances. Turning it back to Burden of Truth, you know that little bit at the opening when Joanna's running through the park and she yeah. runs by the Louis Riel yeah, statue? Yeah. It was that first week we were feeling at the park there behind the legislative and they have the camera that's on the golf cart and they're tracking with her as Joanna's running through the park. And I was at the other end of the park there and making sure that people aren't like walking by, by or... But the people on the bikes were bigger problems because it takes longer for them to stop them. And there was one bike rider that blew right past me right after when they were like rolling. And so I ran as fast as I've ever ran in my life to try to stop this guy. And I wouldn't have been surprised if there would have been an outtake of me. And you see this bike coming and then you see me in like an orange vest like running Chasing for dear life and trying to do like a running type of stop. Get down! <laughs> but thankfully, I think they got the shot by then so nobody complained. But that's the kind of thing that you're dealing with. Most people are cool with it and then you get people who were like, fuck you for telling me that I need to walk my dog on the other side of the street. I've been doing this for 25 fucking years. Who the fuck are you filming people to tell me what to yeah. do? That's the love of the job, though. Like, you get the stress, you get the perks, you get the random citizens, you get the anxiety of having to go knock on somebody's door to tell them to stop bowling their lawn and shit. <laughs> like, and you get, for all the people like that that'll swear at you and think that you're bothering them, there's so many more that are just so excited about it and the fact that there's yeah. a movie and they have so many questions to ask and you can give them a little glimpse into what it is that we're doing and some people it just yeah, makes their day. Right. PA works fun though. Like I said, like you get your roadblocks, you get your barricades. Sometimes you just have to stand there by a roadblock and just tell cars they can't come anymore or it's too busy, you get, you know, we get the police involved and we hold it down. Yeah, and it's really bad between 4 and 5.30 because that's when rush hour and people are coming home after a long day. When we were shooting Ross and Pacific there, all about those... We did three moves there, and yeah. then we did a, a move at rush hour. To downtown. To downtown. Yeah. I was like, who coordinated this? I'm like, floor. I live in the inner city. Who the hell coordinated yeah. this? There's no move? way around it. <laughs> I was like, wow. Triple move that day. That's in the last Wednesday's episode. Oh, is it? Do you okay. watch it yet? I only watched, like, the first episode. Yeah, yeah, actually, that's something that I kind of find a little bit interesting. Because, like, when I watch it with my girlfriend, I'm always talking, like, oh, you know what this is? Yeah. This is a... She's like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Watching the show for me is this really unique thing because watching it, it's less, oh, what's going to happen on the show? But more like, I read the sides every day. I see the scenes that they're filming. And I literally know how it's going to end. So, for me, it's half recollections of, oh, I remember that, that day. day we were yeah. shooting in the downtown because it was so windy and broke two tents <laughs> in that... <laughs> And the other half is seeing how all the pieces fit together. Actually, it's funny, seeing all the scenes that Billy's locked out, and I just keep thinking, you picked it because it was very pretty and picturesque, but that was not one of my favorite places to film at, because it's in Sanford. You have to drive all the way out to Sanford, park your car at the rink there, and you have to take a shuttle there. You can't walk to set. There was only one way in and out. The yard, where there were always about half a dozen vehicles in there, and any time you had to do a reverse angle, you have to clear all the trucks out there. And then, not the first time we were there, but the second time, it was after there had been a wedding there, and so there were all these flies oh, everywhere. Oh, because they left like, yeah. garbage and empties and bottles and shit yeah. all over the place. So many flies. Yeah, yeah. Season one was the lost season because as soon as late August, early September hit, we never dealt with mosquitoes, but there were wasps everywhere. And I got stung twice, and there was one time when Somebody I was... Somebody stung in the mouth, didn't they? I think so, yeah. I think Alex got it or something. 
Season one was the wasp season, and season two was the fly season. So, I don't know, season three, it'll be the locust season. Yeah, maybe. Just grasshoppers everywhere. I like the cabin, but me and Sam were on the paddle boat. We had to move the paddle boat. They're like, locations! Get that ugly paddle boat out of the view. So, like, well, we're going to put it, we had no way to, like, carry it up the side of the, the water, so, like, jump in it. He's like, jumping in, just paddling over there. <laughs> so he's got two PAs paddle boating down, down the LaSalle River. We're <laughs> like, you can pay for this, bro. My very first production, you know, on a real set, like of them, like independent stuff, music videos of my own and stuff. But I've never been on a real set before, so I had a perception of don't talk to nobody, don't look at nobody. Just But honestly, they're all down to earth. Everybody says hi. Yeah, Going on season two, the crew-wise, this cast, everybody's like, it's family. So like, I was like super blessed to be part of this, my first time show. To like pop my cherry to the movie industry for a film career is like, like spoiled. I, like I, oh, I yeah, super we, spoiled. Like, oh, we are all super spoiled. Like the cast like, is amazing. Everybody's humble. Miguel's awesome. Yeah, I know. I had an awesome experience with everybody. Like nobody was like rude. And if it was anything bad, it was just like in the moment of the stress on the daily job. But mm-hmm. nothing was. It's like a family. Like I said. Like I told Kyle Irving, I'm like, man, you guys have blessed me too crazy. Winnipeg's such a small community. And everybody like, knows everybody. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when you go on a show on a set, even if you're not a tight family like Burden was, you still at least know you from another set. They right? know you from somewhere else, right? But, right. And this is going through like our third year of like big boom in the production industry. So like, it's going to be, gonna be, yeah. this is gonna be our nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. So if so, you're not in the industry, come on in. Doors are open. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, Neil, how about you? What are some of the relationships, not necessarily with the actors, but any of the crew members? Well, for me, in terms of my relationship with the actors, just because I'm involved before it even starts production, sometimes I'll meet them at the office when they come in for fittings, or in Kristen's case, because she's an executive producer, she's kind of involved in a lot of the meetings that we have beforehand. And also her husband is one of the writers, so... I thought he was just her boyfriend. Her her significant other, anyway. Her significant other. Fun fact, he met her on the show that she did beforehand, Beauty and the Beast, and he was a boom operator. And so I'm just picturing him on first day, him holding up the boom mic, where you're holding up a pole over your head that has a little pound and a half weight at the end of it, and you have to hold it up the entire time, so you're in kind of a bit of a stressed position. And I'm just picturing him looking over to Kristen and be like, what's up? Yeah. (laughs) And then falling in love. Yeah. And I also, I'm not really on set all the time, but when I do go on to set, I try just being cordial to them, and they're all great on this show. And a lot of times, also, members of the public will come to me to see if they can get a picture with an actor, or sometimes it's a location owner and says, so you think we can get a picture? And so sometimes I'll go through the ADs, but then if it's a case where I've already established a relationship with an actor or a group of actors, then I can just go to them directly. And because I know how things operate on set, I know the right time to go and talk to them. And that happened a couple times on season two where I had a group of them, Kristen, Miguel, Peter, and I can't remember the other one's name, Jerry Lynn's. Jessica. Jessica, yeah. So they all got a photograph with a couple of location owners and they were, you know, gracious to be there and meet with them. And then another occasion where we had a neighbor that is a huge fan of the show and prior to the show she was a big fan of Kristen through Smallville and stuff mm. and she waited outside and waited and waited oh, yeah, I remember and that. the timing just was never right but eventually she waited long enough that there was an opportunity for Kristen to come out and the lady gave her a nice card and she autographed something for her and I took a picture of the two of them together and it just totally made her day 
And those are kind of those types of moments that make it really worthwhile. See, one instance of people watching us while we're filming that I remember is when you're shooting at the motel, and on the other side of the fence of the motel, there were these two kids that were sitting on the roof of, I think, the house or like a garage or a lean-to. They were just sitting there and watching us. And I remember going to, I forget who, and I was asking, it's like, should we tell them, please leave? And we were like, well, no, I mean, they're not really disrupting production or anything like that. And they are on the other side of the fence, so we can't really do anything i mean it's not like they were like renting. yeah they were on their own private property and we just went over and just said when we're rolling if you could just please be quiet that'd be great and i think they eventually got bored and left but that was one of the more positive situations that it wasn't somebody being like fuck you fuck you fuck you that's the only bad part i hate is like telling people to like fuck off or shut up or it makes me feel like an asshole yeah <laughs> especially when we were filming at jerry lynn's house and people they're like i've had a long day's work and it's like Look, I totally sympathize where you're coming from, but I literally can't let you guys through, so... Mm, go around the block. Yeah. yeah, and of course, if they did, went on the other side, they just would have run into Damien yeah, as exactly. well, so... Like, telling him the same thing. Yeah, the P for the it's fun. Right. Locations, it's a, it's a fun, rewarding job. But it's so important in Manitoba, because yeah. we don't have all studio work. Most of our work is on location. Yeah. Right. Well, they come here the tax credit but then they have to film on location on yeah there was not a single set that was built for season one and then with season two there was only one actual set that was built of the interrogation room and we did that in the basement of the sports center at Selkirk which was a nice change of pace that for once we're only in a nice dark air-conditioned room where you're not outside roasting for 14 hours a day remember the cricket in the wall oh man it was like my first month still a newbie in the industry and bottom of the pecking order so I gotta deal this task and you just are on set we're in the studio so we control the environment no noise got the ACs up all the fans are off studio silent and all of a sudden you just hear this just a little cricket in the we didn't know where it was coming from we thought it was like in the ceiling we thought it was like pillar we thought it was like uh, we didn't know where the hell this damn cricket was but for like two hours straight you got like the DOP and the director like get rid of that cricket <laughs> man it's nuts so how did you get rid of it? Well, everybody was going for lunch. We, you know, we got to do fire watch. Yeah. So, another location's duty. You got to... Well, everybody gets to go have a one-hour break and eat lunch and sit down and talk shit. We get to sit beside camera gear by ourselves and... <laughs> eat your cold food out of a takeout container. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I was sitting on there and it was like, uh, sitting doing fire watch and I kept hearing his damn cricket. And it was like, every couple minutes we'd go off and shut up for a while. Go where it was, it would be quiet for a while. You walk away, go off again. So Sasha came back from some lunch, and then I was just, he's a boom operator, and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like on the ground, and I'm like looking around, looking for a damn cricket, and then he's like, why don't you use my boom mic, put my headphones on, and then I just took his boom mic, and I like pointed it in the wall and the ceilings, and then finally found it in the bottom of this floorboard and this pillar of this, in this room, and then uh, we tried to like flush it out with a knife, and then people are like, you're going to kill it, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to chop its legs off. It's like, hey, you've been telling me for two and a half hours to get rid of this cricket now. He's a night in bag, so I'm going to try to kill it. <laughs> Swept it out. Brushed yeah. it out. Yeah. Let it out. Did you let it go outside? No, like, it just stopped making noise for a while, so I don't know. I don't know what happened. 
Shut up. You killed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a farm kid, so I have no sympathy for bugs and yeah. mice. When you grow up on a farm, you stop seeing mice as these cute, cuddly creatures, but carriers of disease and pestilence that shit everywhere, and you have to rebag like entire <laughs> pallets of chickpeas because they make a nest in there and are eating the whole pallet out from the inside. My first week on Burden. Like, where were we from? Wellington Crescent? We were filming in a house. Oh, oh yeah, I remember that because yeah, I noticed that one of the houses across the street actually has a grain bin there. And Wellington Crescent, it's yeah. the same strip where That's Brian Pallister lives there and posh high-end part of the city. And somebody has a grain bin in their backyard. Yeah. And I asked the neighbors of the place that we were filming at, and it was like, do you know the guy that has a grain bin across the street? And do you know why he has that there? And she was like, no. I think it's part of the architecture of the house. Well, it's one of those new houses which has some sort of strange esoteric style to it and a grain bin is part of it. I remember we were all outside, we were shooting in that house though on Wellington Crescent. We were all shooting in the living room or something. Must have been like 40 people in that damn living room. And then all locations PAs were all outside. I think Delph was inside maybe or Mike. And then all you hear is, locations, locations, come in here. Come in here quick, locations. And then I like, I run in there and then there's like, Forty people running around like locations. Kill that wasp. <laughs> there's a wasp right there, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Call me inside." When there's like forty of you guys standing around here, you couldn't just swat it with your side. Couldn't just like hit it, and then then I was about to go smack it with this rolled up paper, and then I think it was peanut or somebody's like, "Don't kill it." <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what am I supposed to do here now? Like, <laughs> I'm coming here to exterminate. And then I think we got a, like a water cup and put it in a plastic cup uh-huh. and we covered it. Do it outside, but it just baffled me. I was like, I'm like, this is part of my job description? I'm like, what the hell do I do? I got called into his room to kill a wasp, and there's like four people standing around doing nothing. And I was like, welcome to location. But actually, speaking of Pina, she agreed to be on the podcast, and I gotta say, Pina, I like to refer to her as our dead mother. Mm-hmm. Anytime you see her, it's like, oh, Pina's here, everything's cool now, and I hope she lives a very incredibly long life. But if she were to unexpectedly pass away halfway through production on something, the entire Winnipeg film industry would shut down to attend her funeral. Absolutely. Like, producers and actors and executives from L.A. would fly in to attend her funeral because she is so unbelievably warm and loving. But, like, other crew members, because we all overlap with one another, and who are some of the people that, when you see them on set, it's like, oh, they're here, everything's cool now. Uh... Okay, well, I know Lee is a big one for me. He reminds me of Sokka from Avatar The Last Airbender because he has that Sokka hair. The sides of his head are shaved. He has that ponytail, and every time he's talking, he's always giggling and laughing or something like that. Anybody that I ever worked with on Burden is my family now. It's like, if I've seen one in another production, I'm like, yo, hey, what's up? It's like what I was introduced to, you know? So it's like, to Mm -hmm. me... Whoever was in their department when I met them is like, why I expect to be on the next show. <laughs> yeah, like, I know, and it's not to bring it back to me, but I know with my own script that I'm working on, The Legend of Nicky Yalos, I did a little breakdown of my own of all the different locations and oh, nice. how many characters are on there. And then the next page is I try to do like a very rudimentary version of how many days it would take to film the movie that if we were to do this, like, super cheap, super low budget. I figure we can do the whole thing in 15 days, 20 if we want to be yeah. generous. And then I have my dream cast. Did you do one, uh, I was just going to say, with your dream crew? 
<laughs> oh, well, dream crew. Basically, it's just all of us. Yeah. My whole approach for it, going ahead with my career, if I'm ever like, a writer, producer, director, is basically we're putting the band back together. Yeah, right. And it's just people that basically. I've worked with within the film program in China, and then different actors that I've met at different things, and then all the Burn and Truth people want to bring them as well. And it would be great shorthand, and I think a little bit of an inspirational story. Of, I start off as a locations PA, now I'm the director on director, this. Director, executive producer, yeah. Yeah. Gonna... And there wouldn't be, like, awkward power dynamic in... I'm just picturing myself as Kenneth Branagh and Henry V doing our St. Christian's Day. It happens on the first day of every production where it's like, all right, everybody get around. And I remember Devon on Breakthrough doing his whole thing of, I know maybe not all of you are Christians or anything like that, but you were doing the Lord's work. I know I did something like that with rough sketches of, I am so eternally grateful that you guys are giving up your weekend to work on this little tiny $8,000 short, which I paid people for. And that was one thing that separates from everyone else is that everyone was actually paid on that production. It was sort of like a sliding scale thing. And now I'm just picturing where it's like reworking the St. Christian's Day speech from Henry V. The locations department, though, I think is wicked because we actually get that freedom to kind of wander around. We monitor the whole location rather than... Right, and going ahead with our own careers of writing, producing, directing our own stuff, you can see how the well-oiled machine works, and you can pick up, okay, what locations are close together so that we can film all these scenes in one day, and notice how long it takes for something to be set up and torn down, and figuring out the logistics of everything so that when we hit the ground, we can hit the ground running. Well, locations thing, you get the water around set, so you obviously mingle and network more with different department heads, right? You talk to people who like ribs, you talk to Alex, you talk to makeup. At the same time as like an entrepreneur or creative ourselves, you want to write, you want to direct. So you're low-key and scooping crew, you're picking who you would like to work with for crew, you're picking who you'd like to work with with cast, you know, you're picking out your locations because we know building contacts, you're picking out permits because we know where to get them, you know how much it's going to cost for a location, you know how much it's going to... So that's why like I love location. If you're camera, you're stuck with the camera all day. You're, you're grip, you're stuck by the like, equipment all day, you're stuck on a truck, you're stuck placed somewhere, you have like your set, your little niche. But locations is like you have your freedom. To talk. You have lockups. You have your voice. But like you get to see everything. Like if you want to get into the, the film industry, start locations. And- One of my favorite jokes is there are only two entry level positions in the film industry: locations PA and director. <laughs> but actually, just to bring it over to your aspirations of wanting to work in the camera department, just a little bit of a love fest going on here. Damien, I remember one time near the end of production where it's like, yeah, man, you're like really smart, which I really appreciate it because when you work locations, some days you're perfectly fine being low-key. Moving tables, moving chairs, yeah. rolling yeah. rugs, moving rugs. Yeah, yeah, and you're doing all this physical stuff, and even outside of the film industry, I'm a farm boy, I do security guard work, I used to do a bunch of warehouse jobs, a lot of physical manual labor labor jobs, which as somebody with a degree in film and video production who's writing scripts and figuring out story structure and character motivations and beats and art, it's nice to actually be recognized for your intellect. So I really appreciate that. And I should say that you're actually just about to start an internship with which union? Yeah, so right now I'm obviously DGC. I'm going to jump over to 669 International Cinematographers Guild and try the camera training program. So again, like, one day my goal is to be, like, a director, a scriptwriter, or, like, a, just somebody else. <laughs> I want to start from this avenue, like, start from locations, and then start from the bottom of the camera training program, because obviously one day I want to make my own feature film or TV show. I want to do it by, like, the visual aspect, and I want to do it from the location aspect, because that's the whole importance of a film. And you're taking the extra step in learning how the camera actually works, because... 
as a little side tangent thing that I've been doing just this last week is that I've been digging through all my old photos on my hard drive mm -hmm. and I've been uploading a ton of photos on my Instagram because I'm starting to see my Instagram account as the story of my life as opposed to just a bunch of pictures of random crap. Yeah. So I'm sort of curating all the pictures that I've taken over the years and uploading them by theme and telling a little bit of a story behind them mm -hmm. and it's like how that relates to me. And looking at some of the pictures, I realized that as a filmmaker, that when it comes to the visual parts, I'm more interested in the composition of what does this image convey in terms of framing and color and depth of space. I realized I love deep space shots, whereas you sort of get the sense of depth from those shots. And I like the creative aspect of it, but you ask me lighting for a shot or lenses or film stock and aperture, and I kind of go a little bit cross-eyed. I have a rudimentary understanding of that, but the fine details of this lens and that light and this film stock, I'll leave that, that in the hands of people who are far more knowledgeable than yeah. me in that. And it's like, okay, we'll line up the shot to make sure that it looks good. And you worry about the lighting and I'll talk with the actors for the next half hour. I would prefer to do that. Yeah, and then you can always convey visually what you're hoping to achieve, and they can just run with it. Definitely. That's a pre-production meeting where yeah. you're telling them, I want it to look like this, how do we achieve it? Jason from the camera department, I was noticing the focus puller. It's a job that, on the surface, looks really easy to do, where you're focusing the camera so that the frame is in focus, but he said that it's a deceptively easy but in actuality, it's a very technical, very complex job. And he told this story about James Cameron where, I don't know which movie it was, but it's pretty much all his movies, where he's like being really hard on his crew and he's tuning them out. And he's like, I could do your job, I could do your job. And then he points to the focus puller and he says, okay, I can't do your job, but I can do... <laughs> and he was telling everybody else on the crew, I could do your jobs. That's funny. Even James Cameron will admit when he has limits. That's when that well, one limit is... Pulling focus. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's hard because I was just watching a movie yesterday in theaters, Green Book. Uh, and can we skip to the backlash for that movie? Because that movie sucks, especially in comparison to <laughs> If Beale Street Could Talk, which I saw yesterday and oh my god, that movie is so gorgeous. But yeah, I don't know, like, you just see like the guy's focus on his ear and his fucking face is over here. Like, it's like, oh man, you missed that shot up. <laughs> but, Sometimes it's intentional. Yeah. Mm hmm. I guess I kind of want to end with this story of something that happened recently that exemplifies just how great of a show Burden of Truth is behind the scenes. We are very much breathing rarefied air where a couple weeks ago there was this thing at the Fairmount Hotel called All Access where all these producers and executives and filmmakers all converge at the Fairmont Hotel for three days. And there are all these panels and presentations of different stuff in the industry. And Tuesday, Kyle and the creative team on Burden of Truth, they were there to talk about Eagle Vision and their business model of telling First Nation stories, both in front of and behind the camera, and how it's led to this great success with them, which sitting there in the audience, I kind of feel like I was sort of the cheerleader. I am so unbelievably proud to be working with these people even if it's just changing liners and rolling up mats and setting yeah. up tents. That's the thing though. And it's, it's like it takes it it's all part of the wheel, yeah. man. We're all part and, of the spokes. And I was there because I wanted to pitch to these different producers and executives of this movie that I'm writing, The Legend of Nikki Olives, that I hope one day will be my first feature film. And I go up to Kyle and I ask him, hey, when you have a minute or two, can I rehearse my pitch with you? And he was like, oh yeah, we can do that. See me after lunch. And I thought we were just going to go out into the foyer and find like a somewhat secluded, quiet spot. And I would just rehearse my pitch with him. But instead, he comes up to me and it's like, oh, hey, uh, we're all going to go up to the hotel room. Come join us. And it's me. 
It's Brad Simpson, the show creator. It's his wife, Rebecca Gibson, who acts in the show. It's Eric, it's Kristen, it's Duffy, it's Tyson. And when we were walking through the elevator and then going into the hotel room, the whole time I was just thinking, I feel like I'm being invited to hang out with the cool kids in high school. And then, oh my god, when does the pig's blood come in? (laughs) And thankfully it didn't. And we get to their hotel room, and I rehearsed my pitch, which is like the second version of it, to them. And just across my field of vision is Lana Lang and the entire creative team behind a hit CBC series. If you had told 16-year-old me that one day I would be doing this, I wouldn't have believed you. And there's even like a small, tiny part of me that still can't. Almost like didn't really happen, but it did. (laughs) Yeah, and I even have the proof on there. I have a picture of her and Eric, and she's holding the these dark materials trilogy that I got for her. And actually, yesterday I went to McDally Robinson to not only get a copy of If Beale Street Could Talk because this James Waldman guy is really freaking awesome, and I actually want to read his stuff. But I also got this book, The Library Book by Susan Orlean, because Kristen kind of does a little bit of like a book club thing with her Instagram and. This was the latest book, and I actually want to read it because of my very brief flirtation with being a library information technician. So, cool. well, I think that's kind of it for me. Do you guys have anything else that you want to share or bring up or talk about before we wrap up here? Uh, if you want to get into the local film industry and go down to Film Training Manitoba and talk to Adam and get your DGC certificate requirements, cost about 120 bucks, and then go down to DGC on McDermott and King Street and go talk to Stephen Foster and see you on set. (laughs) Neil will call you for a daily. Yeah. (laughs) See what we can do. See if I can get you out there. Okay then. Well, once again, gentlemen, thank you for coming. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, man. All right then. Peace. Peace.